Welcome to Shelf Reflective. Today we're going to be talking about uh, The Little Stranger by Sarah Waters. I'm Paige. I'm Peter. And I guess we'll just jump right in. Um, what are three words we would use to describe this book? That's a good question. Um, I guess... don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Are those three words you'd use to describe it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess my three words would be like ambiguous. It's ambiguous. Um, it's chilling. It's pretty, it's pretty spine tingling. Experience I experienced chilling, <laughs> like the physical sensation of being chilled. Yeah. I remember after we finished it, you said, oh, I've got to put on something warmer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I would say it's it's ambiguous, chilling, and my third word would be delicious. It was just a really good book. Oh, I got, I got a word. Uh, intricate. Intricate, yeah. Sarah Waters' writing style is um, it's very detailed. Yeah, yeah, not a whole lot happens in the book, but the writing, the intricate writing and the in-depth writing uh, really expanded, like, these characters' experiences to make it, to create a whole novel and a really great novel. Yeah, it's interesting you say that it's not a lot happens, because I don't, I think you're right, there's not a lot happens, it's a very straightforward story, there's one plot... There's no subplots, and um, the narrator, Dr. Faraday, just goes from the beginning of his interaction with this house to the end of his interaction with this house, and there's no diversions. But at the same time, even though there's not a lot that happens in the terms of the plot, there's still a lot going on. Yeah, it's like the... Um, it's the the interpretation of the 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 narrator doctor uh, of the of the novel Doctor Faraday, um, uh, the the inner workings of his thought process and how he interprets his own thought process and how he interprets other characters and how those characters might you know interpret what's going on and everything is very right yeah it's there's a lot going on on like a psychological level, and then I feel like the author also has a lot to say yeah. about class and gender um mental illness just a lot to say it seems like about everything you know just like um one little thing you know just branches off into just a, uh, a million comments from the characters that are very w relatable and entertaining, yeah. Um, what was your experience? I read the book out loud to Peter, yeah. and um, so I'm wondering, like, what was the experience for you of, um, how did the book seem to you? Well, I, I really enjoyed you reading it to me. Like, that was, that's, I mean, um, I guess, you know, uh, there's tons of wonderful programs on television, and but I usually watch a, a great programming on television, um, feeling like I just like uh, had a half a dozen donuts and not really getting, not really feeling uh, fulfilled from it. But you reading it to me, I, I really felt fulfilled and 
um, it was a, it wasn't, it wasn't, it's not a, I guess if I were to equate the book with like food, which I have been, (laughs) um, uh, a healthy, a healthy meal. It was like really, um, yeah. Yeah, it's a lot to think about and a lot to chew on. And I know like, (laughs) yeah, um, after, um, like a day or two after we finished reading it, you were like, are you still thinking about the little stranger? Oh yeah. Well, if, um, about that is it's, um, you and I are boyfriend and girlfriend and the, the main plot centers around, uh, the, the romance, uh, between two characters and one of the characters, uh, you know, and then like one of the characters is, um, uh, a creep. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh well, yeah. There's actually hints to that throughout the book that one of the characters is a creep, and um, I, I thought you know it's just like it kind of put a um, a creepy vibe on the 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 the, the um, atmosphere in the in our shared dwelling. I was like, oh, for for about a few days, I was like, oh my god. <laughs> Um, okay, so before I guess we get into, like, spoiler territory and, um, talking about everything that happens throughout the book and the ending of the book, um, maybe we should describe a little bit of a general overview of the plot. Um, so the book opens and it's told in the first person, uh, point of view of Dr. Faraday, we never learned his first name, um, kind of like in uh, Rebecca, where the Rebecca. second Mrs. De Winter, you never learned her first name. Um, Daphne du Maurier wrote Rebecca. And um, so uh, I was drawn to this book because I thought it was going to be a gothic novel. And I think it delivered on that front. You've got a big house that is the center of the book, basically. Um, so you've got your narrator, first person, telling you about, um, his experience with Hundreds Hall. And the story begins when he's first called out on, um, to to see a patient there. And the patient happens to be the only servant left. And this novel is set in, um, the 40s, 1940s. And I think that's basically all I'll say without giving away spoilers can you think of anything not spoilery um regarding the plot yeah it's just um like a like a, like Paige says like a great a gothic novel that um i think was able to like it seemed like a force multiplier you know, there was just, like, elements in there that seemed to feed off one another. And I just, like, created, like, um, a really powerful, strong, gothic novel. Yeah, you've got um, lots of elements of gothic fiction in there. Of course, the big house. Um, and then there's feelings of, like, terror that come later in the book. Um there's a spirit or poltergeist or a ghost or is there. Um, there's... Um, the romance, there's the old lady who is kind of um, silly, which is like a convention in gothic novels. Oh, I didn't know that. That's interesting. 
So, um, okay, so I guess from here on out we can talk about spoilers. So if you want to read this book, which I really recommend, and you don't want to be spoiled for anything, I would turn this off and come back later. Okay, so the narrator. <laughs> what did you think of Dr. Faraday? I th found him super relatable. I don't know if you share that, like, experience. I mean, like, some of the, like, even, it was really, that was probably the creepiest part, is, like, a really, like, okay, it turns out that Dr. Faraday, shall, shall I continue? Yeah, I would say it's kind of ambiguous, but it points towards Dr. Faraday. Yeah, there's major implications at the end of the book that Dr. Faraday's um, involvement in the mishaps, the, the horrible events of the house, uh, aren't as innocuous as he has made it out to be. Right. It's kind of like, oh, it might be a ghost. And then you're like, oh, but maybe it's Dr. Faraday. Right. And throughout the entire book, he tries to make himself, uh, he tries to cozy himself up to the family, tries to cozy himself up to his patients, tries to cozy himself up to everything. And, like, he, do he goes through great lengths to, like, you know, be accepted and everything and, and in doing so, he's. He, I found myself, you know, rooting for him, and like, you know, he's like, oh, that's very nice of Doctor Faraday to do that, or oh, he's. I don't know about that, but he did apologize for that, and I found him very relatable. And then, when the tables turn at the end, that was the creepiest part. That the person I almost, tr I very much trusted and very much rooted for, and was, like, turned out to be the, um, the quite potentially the bad guy in the story. Yeah, um, I didn't find Dr. Faraday relatable so much. Um, maybe it's because he's a guy and I'm not. But, um, I did trust him in the beginning. But the thing about first-person point of views, I think they can only be done really well when there's something else going on. Like, you can't trust a person to just tell you their story. Like, people forget things, people misrepresent themselves, people misrepresent others, and that's just true. And so when I read a book that has a first-person point of view and it's fiction, and it turns out at the end that the narrator was just telling it to you straight the whole time, I think that's kind of boring. <laughs> Uh, the, yeah, there's a there's a nice uh, this this book gave you like a lingering bit of doubt on the on the perspective on his perspective. Yeah, so I really like the unreliable narrator trope, and that doesn't have to mean that the person who's doing the narrating is um, willfully deceiving you, but it is interesting when their personality adds a new layer to the story. Mm -hmm. And I feel like um, Dr. Faraday was an unreliable narrator and he was a great unreliable narrator because at first he's telling you this stuff and he, he seems pretty innocuous and I was kind of rooting for him. He's He has working class parents and he's coming up from a solid working class background. His parents gave everything they had so that he could go to school and become a professional. And I'm like, oh, you know, he's got that working against him kind of in this very class conscious British society. Underdog. Yeah, very much an underdog. I only started suspecting him um <laughs> well I didn't start suspecting him until about the last third of the book. And um but before that there were kind of some hints that like, oh, you know, there's a 
he would describe things in really, really focused, highly focused details. Things that happened when he wasn't there. Oh my goodness, yeah. There was, that, that bit of the narrative was really strange because he wasn't an omniscient narrator. He was just some dude. But he would speak as though he, ha- he had this, as though he were omniscient. So how did he gain that knowledge? And I think, and I think, um, guessing what you're, what you and I are both thinking is that he was spying on them. Is that what? Well, I'm not sure. It's really. Um, at first, I thought, oh, he's getting filled in by the family, but there was like a little too much detail. Right. And when he actually does talk to the family, they don't actually say that many words to him. So I was like, oh, this is interesting that he knows the exact things that, you know, um, Caroline's thinking this, Roderick's thinking that. He had a look on his face that betrayed his whatever. And I was like, you don't know that. Yeah, you were su- you were supposedly out of town when when that all of this happened. Yeah. yeah, or you were at your thing. You just, you weren't there. And um, so I thought, yeah, it's possible. He's spying. I thought maybe it was just like he's so obsessed that he like fills in all these narrative details on his own. Yeah, and you know, the book is so well written. It, se- it seemed to me that the, an oversight like, you know, the, uh, switching a first person to om- to third person omniscient narrate- narration seems like a too big of an oversight not to be intentional. So there's something going on there. Yeah. Yeah, so that's a really good point. Um, Sarah Waters is a really great writer. And um, and when Dr. Faraday kind of switches and he's talking about scenes that happen at the house when he's not there, it is exactly like an omniscient person, third person telling you in great detail what people are thinking, feeling. Oh, she ran out of cigarettes in her cardigan pocket, so she had to open the drawer and get the other cigarettes. And they're like... That's not something you'd really, like, tell somebody in the course. Like, if I'm like, hey, Peter, it's been a while since I've seen you. Let me tell you all this stuff that happened. Oh, yeah, I ran out of cigarettes in my one pocket, so I had to go over here. That's just not – that's a little too much detail. And that's another thing is um, they say, like, when somebody's lying to you, one of the tells for lying is that you try and convince somebody by – creating details that weren't there in order to make a convincing story. And that's one way people give themselves away is they just tell a little too much detail. So he's suspect. He is. He's very suspect. This is a book that um, when I was like reading reviews of it that other people had written on Goodreads, this book actually got a pretty low rating on Goodreads, which I thought was kind of weird because I loved it. It's, I don't give books like five out of five stars often, but this one was like an instant favorite. Now, this is your first uh, audio podcast book review, and I think it's a good one to do it on because I hope this, um, you know, our review, our favorable review will, you know, let people know that this is a worthwhile book for uh, use, of, use of their time so people could read this. Yeah, I would definitely recommend it. But I did notice that a lot of people didn't quite seem to get it or... And that's one of the things about it is, like, it's good literature, so it is ambiguous. People come to different conclusions about it. And I noticed that you and I basically came to the same conclusion, was that Dr. Faraday is a creep, and he killed Caroline. 
Would you say that's what you believe happened? Yeah, that's what, I mean, that's pretty, I think that's a pretty, uh, that's not a very big leap as far as how it's laid out for you in the book. I think, and I both agree that that's, that's what happened. But there's all those other things that, you know, there's other events that happen in the book. Like, well, was that, what was Dr. Faraday's involvement or how was he involved in that, if at all? Yeah, that's very true. And I think that ambiguity really lends itself to um, different interpretations. And a lot of the interpretations were like, oh, Dr. Faraday is such a nice guy, but this book is kind of boring. And I'm like, you don't get it. You don't get it because he's not a nice guy. He's, I mean, by his own admission, he's a creep. He, he doesn't say I'm a creep, but he does tell about how he basically sexually assaulted Caroline. He talks about how he grabs her, throws things at her, says abusive things to her. And that's things that he's straight up admitting. He never admits to killing her, but he admits to all these really skeevy, shady behaviors around her and the house. And uh, on the on in, uh, to address uh, shady, skeevy behavior, I think it's important that we take a moment to step back um, from the book itself and uh, talk about our um, background knowledge um, about you know you know what is uh, you know sexual assault, what is you know abusive behavior, you know grabbing somebody as Dr. Faraday did or phys- uh, forcing someone upon someone sexually as Dr. Faraday did is widely ex- um, accepted, in the, um, at least how Dr. Faraday described it, by, by, people, uh, by many people out there. And that's probably why um, a lot of people say, I just didn't get it, you know, he wasn't that bad a guy, you know, he just, you know, just grabbed a wrist or... Um, oh, it's okay, he threw that ring at her, he was just angry. Yeah, there's the, that, that, that sort of behavior is really, really, um, unfortunately, widely accepted. Um, by a lot of people, and that's probably where those reviews, those favorable reviews of Dr. Faraday are coming from. And we, and, and our, and we're kind of, kind of in the know about that sort of behavior. If a friend of ours, um, or our, or even ourselves, cross over that line into the, that sort of behavior, like, well, that's not allowed. That's that's really creepy. Yeah, and I would say it's not necessarily acceptable. Like people would realize that Dr. Faraday shouldn't throw things at Caroline and say, you know, you're ugly and no one loves you. Um, But people are willing to excuse it, I think. Yeah, I think uh, people's tendency to excuse it is very high. And I think the author put that behavior in there as the little clues to, you know, um, to um, implicate Dr. Faraday. And if you weren't, really knowledgeable about those that that sort of behavior or if you kind of subscribe to a more permissive line of thinking about that kind of behavior you may have missed those clues yeah true and um like i say it's kind of ambiguous she doesn't spell it out she doesn't say i'm dr faraday and i killed somebody right you know um you get it in little it, it's revealed slowly and it's it's kind of opaque yeah is it is it even a ghost story would you call it oh for i i would definitely say so it really blurs the line between um you know reality and make believe this world and the next and i just i think that's what ghosts are is this where that line gets blurry and this line really 
is this book really blurs that line. Right. Even though I think there's um, a good amount of evidence that um, Faraday killed Caroline, there are lots of things that happen in the novel. That comes at the very end of the novel, and there's so many things in the hundreds of pages beforehand that are um, kind of strange and kind of defiant explanation if you take him at his word or, you know, because we, we don't know this whole story is coming out of his mouth. Um, but I do think that the people who live at hundreds are haunted by something that is perhaps not a ghost, but is, but are their own demons. Yeah, yeah, there, there is this, like, there is, like, this psychological haunting, there is this, like, dissolving of class status, that's very, like, this seems to add to, like, this haunting kind of lost feeling, and there's this creepy guy who comes on, keeps on coming around. All these things are very real, but they provide this, this, like, ethereal haunting. Yeah, like, Mrs. Ayers, the old woman character, the mother matriarch of this family, um, she had a daughter who died many years before, 30 years before the events of this story. And she's claiming later on, shortly before her death, that it's her daughter who's doing the haunting, who um, is biting her or making scribbles on the wall. She claims to have heard her breathing in um, a speaking tube. So she's haunt she never got over this. And actually Roderick says that him, her son, Roderick, has a sister, Caroline. He says that he thinks that she, they disappointed her just by being born. They disappointed their mom just by being born because she was still so hung up yeah. on her first daughter, Susan. And so we know that this was like a hugely um, affecting part of her life. She's haunted by the specter of her daughter. Caroline, on the other hand thinks it might be Roderick's spirit because Roderick is then carted away thanks to Dr. Faraday put in a mental asylum and Caroline thinks it might be him who's calling and um, ringing bells. Roderick. Roderick thinks it's doesn't know what it is. Calls it a he though. Calls this little spirit a he. Oh, I... And then Dr. Faraday holds himself to be he's like, oh, I'm Rash. rational. Yeah. I tell it like it is. I'm a doctor. Yeah, and that's another thing um, that's like a kind of... I, I, I associate, you know, uh, modernization, kind of a leveling of the cast, like a status symbols as kind of, And like the implementation of science and modern medicine as an increase in rationalization that like modern society really thinks that that's... That's like their thing. <laughs> like, well, thinks it's really beneficial. Yeah, like we're so rational, you know. They couldn't, you know. And in times past, there was like more em um, emphasis on beliefs and to explain things and um, spirits to explain things, and um, that was one other element that I thought um, one other. I don't know how to describe it, but uh, one other thing in the book. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, Dr. Faraday keeps saying like, "Oh, this this is how it was. I tell things like I see them, but you just have to wonder like, is he though? Like, you know, and at, at some point that um 
we say in sociology, every way of seeing is also a way of not seeing. For everything that you do see, you're, you're cutting yourself off from other um, ways of looking at something. So Dr. Faraday is looking at this in the rational way, the straightforward way, the, there must be a um, rational scientific explanation for this, even when there isn't a rational explanation. He sees it before his own eyes. One time in the garden, he's walking with Mrs. Ayers, and all of a sudden he looks at her, and blood starts, like three drops of blood just spring onto her blouse. And he's walking with her. He can see that she didn't do it to herself. He can see that nothing did it to her. Um, but he explains it away with his medical rationale or his his psychological rationale that, you know, there's some kind of... That she did it to herself, basically. He says yeah. he's looking at her hands for a pin, something that she could have hurt herself with, and even though he doesn't find anything, he's pretty much content with blaming it on her, basically. Yeah, yeah, and... So, yeah, there is that ambiguity. I thought it was interesting, um... Do you know who Michael Faraday is? No, no, who's Michael Faraday? He was a scientist in, like, the early 1800s who his work was basically, like, um, laying a foundation or pioneering, like, electromagnetic fields. Fascinating. Right? <laughs> because... Oh, yeah, that, yeah, that, that is cool. It goes into the details of the book, yeah. Yeah, because... Electromagnetic fields are something that are very real and have an effect, but you cannot see them. And at one point of the book, um, Dr. Faraday, the character, is explaining to another doctor this situation going on in the house with all these seeming hauntings. And that um, doctor explains it as like, well, maybe it's somebody's repressed consciousness um, that is, like, acting out. And it's just interesting that the character, um, Dr. Faraday, shares a name with somebody who did this pioneering work in, in, um, you know, because, <laughs> I don't know, just, I see there's a connection there. Yeah, I mean, um, it's kind of hard to ignore that little tidbit, um, especially because he uses electromagnetic current to treat Roderick at one point for an injury he has. And, yeah, I really like the connection you made about, you know, magnetic current. Is that what you said? Or Yeah. It's a, it's a real thing, but you don't see it. And that's really what was happening in this book. There was a real thing inside the house, but you just couldn't see it. Yeah. And it kind of... Potentially a person. Yeah. To me, it's weird. If you take all all the hauntings at face value and say that Dr. Faraday is reporting them. And I wasn't completely convinced of that. I think, especially as things go on, he has a doctor. He is a doctor. He has access to lots of drugs. And so I thought that, um, you know, Roderick was obviously already, he was in a, in a crash during the war and he's disfigured and badly burned. And, um, his previous doctor had already noticed that he had, like, nervous fits. And so he's having these nervous fits, and I thought, oh, you know, um, maybe Dr. Faraday, after I finished the book, thinking about 
Dr. Faraday's interactions with him, and I thought maybe it's possible he realized that he's, like, susceptible to uh, a fit of nerves. And so he somehow slipped him drugs or something that would um, bring that on. Yeah, definitely a possibility. He's um, recommending drugs throughout the book. He's insisting upon drugs throughout the book. Um, I think you came across some uh, information about one of the drugs being highly flammable um, that he carts around with him throughout the entire book. And and there's a fire. Yeah, I think you can talk about that. Yeah, there's a fire in the book. um, And interestingly, it is the night, it happens on the night that uh, Roderick gets pissed at Dr. Faraday and kicks him out of his room and says, you know, stop touching me, stop stop coming around here, get your hands off me, um, I don't want you in my room anymore, kicks him out of the room, Dr. Faraday goes home, has a fitful sleep that night that he reports. He has a fitful sleep, and meanwhile, the house is burning down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and um, that you alluded to his fitful night of sleep. That's the... Whenever something goes wrong in the house, Dr. Faraday had gone home and had a, quote, fitful night of sleep. And, you know, after going back and reviewing his fitful nights of sleep, you can kind of see a correlation between tragic events and weird occurrences and his, quote, fitful nights of sleep. Yeah, there's so much going on in the book, and it's so long and so well written that... You don't always notice it. And I didn't notice that his fitful nights of sleep correlated to all these horrible events at the house until I finished the book. And I was like, well, I wonder what he was doing the night before Mrs. Ayers committed suicide. I wonder what he was doing the night of the fire. Because on the night that Caroline is dies, Dr. Faraday is supposedly in his car just a mile or two down the road sleeping. And he has a, a key to the gate, a key to the house. And he has a horrible night of sleep. And it just begs the question, you know, why? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I think that lingering question, you know, that never really goes unanswered entirely is what is maybe what gives people, the like, gives, gives this book a bad review with a lot of people. But it's kind of, I really, you know, I think you and I both like that kind of, uncertainty where you try and fill in the blanks at the end yeah i really really like the ambiguity it just gives you a lot to think about and i had my theory and i was like trying to fit everything into my theory that dr faraday did (laughs) everything and um i couldn't i was like well that doesn't make a whole lot of sense that doesn't seem like he could have done that and the author totally because the book is really well written meticulously written and the doctor could easily fill in those blanks um, if she wanted to. And I think she purposely leaves them ambiguous. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. So my final conclusion about like how, like what was responsible for the weirdness at Hundreds Hall was that I think that Dr. Faraday did c- kill Caroline. I think that he like bodily was there and he killed her. And I think there's enough evidence to support that. It's not 100%, but in my mind, it's a pretty settled question. But I think the other stuff was maybe like, his malignant spirit like becoming detached because that's a theory that is put forward by Dr. Seeley, his colleague. And Dr. Seeley is a really interesting character who kind of drives, who's um, uh, surprisingly, he's kind of like a really small character, 
But when he ma- when he's on the scene, he really he really seems to drive the uh, the plot. Like he points out that there might be a um, romantic in- um, involvement between Doctor Faraday and Caroline, the the daughter of the house. And he um, in very in various other points, Doctor Seeley steps in and really I don't know moves the plot along. Yeah, near the end of the book, I just pulled up a quote from The Little Stranger. Dr. Faraday says, I've never attempted to remind Seeley of his other otter theory, that Hundreds was consumed by some dark germ, some ravenous shadow creature, some little stranger spawned from the troubled unconscious of someone connected with the house itself. And I was like, yeah, that's Dr. Faraday, definitely. Yeah, I mean, that that that, that should be on the the jacket of the book that pretty much sums it up yeah so i think we basically covered dr faraday what did you think of the way this book treated gender i i kind of liked it i really liked it caroline was pretty much the um pretty much she's the most likable character i thought she's the most likable character um um, she's a character who is from a privileged class, makes a conscious choice, given a uh, turn in the, her, her finances, um, she makes the, the choice to embrace kind of a lower standing um, in society. You know, she, instead of... She's still landed gentry. She's still landed gentry, but she's, she's like, she, um, she has a decrease in financial security, so she's out doing work. Right. She would rather live in her house and do extra work for its upkeep than to move somewhere that might be easier to maintain. Oh, okay. Um, well, I guess there's that. But um, So she, she was a really admirable female character, which is in and of itself a, a rarity for movies, certainly. And I don't, I don't read a whole lot of books. Is there a lot of... Well, Sarah Waters specifically has a lot of female characters. A lot of her characters are um, people who are on the margins of society, and I would include women in that. Yeah, yeah, that's um, they're like definitely um, have experienced their marginalization through most of history. Yeah, um, I thought what was interesting to me. I mean, Caroline is described by Dr. Faraday as, like, masculine and having thickish legs and being plain and mm. all these descriptions that make you kind of think she's, you know, kind of masculine. What I thought was interesting about the gender in the book was most of the characters, I would say most of them are female, not Dr. Faraday, but um, besides him, the book revolves around the heirses, and there's only one male heirs, Roderick. He's the first to get carted off by Dr. Faraday to the asylum. Um, and then you have Mrs. Ayers, Caroline, um, their housemaid, Betty, and Mrs. Baisley. And um, Mrs. Baisley is more of a secondary character, but Betty, Mrs. Ayers, and Caroline, a lot goes on with them in the book. And I noticed that at the inquest for Caroline's death, people kind of dismissed Betty. And I thought, you know, she had this testimony that was very interesting. I thought that could have, if if the people had um, pursued it, if the coroner and the magistrate or whoever was there had pursued her line of questioning, they might have come to the conclusion that 
Dr. Faraday did, in fact, murder Caroline. But instead, they just kind of write Betty off as like this silly country girl who's superstitious, even though it's revealed at the at the testimony that she gives that right before Caroline dies, she says, you, she's talking to somebody that she recognizes. Yeah, this is just after Caroline and Dr. Faraday, the narrator, essentially break up. Right. Break off their wedding. On the day that their wedding was supposed to be is the day that Caroline dies. And this is never mentioned at the inquest. Their romantic relationship is is mentioned, but not the fact that, wow, Caroline died on the exact day that Dr. Faraday was supposed to marry her, that Dr. Faraday happened to be parked his, in his car about two miles from her house, had the key, which is something that um, Caroline and her family did not even know that he had the key to their house. And they're making this big deal about, oh, well, she couldn't have been murdered because the doors weren't forced. But by that point, Caroline has already kind of been tainted by the mental illness of her family. A mental illness that um, Dr. Faraday, it seems to me, cultivated by sending Rod off to a mental institution and then by threatening to do the same to Mrs. Ayers, which was, I think, a huge component in her suicide. Yeah, See, as far as, like, the um, ge- the gender thing goes and the insanity part, I think, um, unless, I think, I don't think this is when our background comes into our, uh, into our interpretation of this book. You know, we're very, you know, you study gender very frequently, and I, and I do it infrequently, and we kind of are familiar with how gender, how gender inequalities plays out in today's society, let alone back in the day, <laughs> men essentially have controlling institutional uh, sources of power uh, such as courtrooms etc doctors offices doctors offices um so that was a point of interest for us in the book and that may may have not through people's um and that may have like caused people to uh not be as interested in the book and as far as insanity goes what was your oh well i was saying that um Roderick gets carted off to a mental asylum. Yeah. Um, pretty early in the book. Then Mrs. Ayers starts slipping, I think possibly with the help of Dr. Faraday because he prescribes her Veronal, um, which is a barbiturate. It's a pill. There could be anything in that thing. Mm. He could be saying it's Veronal, but it's really something else. He could be overdosing her um, to the point where she's like confused and not sleeping well, which is a side effect. So I just think that he kind of cultivated this mental illness. And he's always telling Caroline, you're so tired, Caroline. Oh, I don't want, I want, I want to make sure you're okay. And she's like, I'm only tired. You make me tired. I'm tired when you're around, which I thought was pretty telling. So I think by the point that the inquest comes, everybody in the community has been primed to see Caroline. First, because she's a spinster. Second, because she's losing class status. As landed gentry, her position in the world is coming down. Um, And third, because her brother and her mother have already been declared suicide or insane, um, that people are already primed in the community to see her as following that pattern herself. So by the time that Betty gives her testimony and sheds some light onto the moments before Caroline's death, people already have this idea that 
she must be tainted by that mental illness. Yeah, yeah, and that's the point where, I don't know, like, the psychology aspect of it is really weird. It's, I think it's kind of a cop-out for all these weird, an ex- a cop-out or a cop-out by peop- um, the quote-unquote rational parts of society to explain all these weird events. That there's some that the part of people's consciousness playing themselves out, or um, people are just insane. That's why they've um, hung themselves, or that's why they're seeing their daughter, or saying they are. And I thought that was really interesting that Dr. Faraday was so quick to um, want to put Mrs. Ayers, the mother, into a mental institution because she was doing pretty well at her house. Is it really better for her to be moved from her comfortable home where she's spent her entire life, almost, to a mental institution when she's in her 60s? And this is like in a time when, you know, asylums were not, they were, they were very, regarded very lowly. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. And he's so quick to do that. And I think that he wanted he wanted Roderick out of the house. He wanted Mrs. Ayers out of the house so that he could move into the house. And that's something we haven't talked about is his quote-unquote romance with Caroline. Yeah. Well, I described it. I described the book as... Um... He described it as a story about a love affair between a man and a house, and it has a happy ending, which I think is the perfect summation of this book. It's great. It's perfect. Yeah, I guess we should have started off the podcast that way. In the end, um, all the heirs get killed off by either Dr. Faraday or some malicious spirit. And Dr. Faraday comes in creepily to the house with his spare key and... Hangs out. Hangs out. Just hangs out. No biggie. Hangs out in the house. Sweeps the corridors. Opens the windows. Just hangs out. Yeah. Not quite sure what he's doing. (laughs) Like a creep. So, yeah. and Oh, yeah. And that's after Betty, the housemaid, won't even, won't go near it after all. Like, very reasonably and very understandably won't go near the house because of all the deaths that have occurred there and all the creepy occurrences. Yeah. She said she wouldn't step foot in it for a thousand pounds. Yeah. Yeah. So, I thought that the romance, which you characterize between a, a man and a house, and I think it's perfect, but... At one point, Dr. Faraday is engaged or believes he is engaged to Caroline, who is there's ample evidence that she is not interested. One of the things Peter said as I was reading this to him, I'd read part of the book and he'd start laughing and I'd say, what's funny? And he he said, Caroline is always pulling away from Dr. Faraday. She's not interested. She's not interested in him. And, um, and he's not that interested in her. He... You know, claims to know her, but doesn't, you know, she, she'll she say something like, well, I hope you know me well enough to know that X, Y, Z. No, of course he doesn't. He's not interested in her. He's interested in the house. See, I thought, I thought they made a good pair. <laughs> I don't know. I was like, uh, there was Caroline who was being, okay. yeah, this is how I got duped and sucked into the um, Dr. Faraday as, as like a, as a, as a benevolent character. I was like, oh, Caroline seems cool. She likes, you know, she likes such and such. She's level-headed. She's she's kind of funny. I could see why Dr. Faraday likes him, likes her. 
Well, I can see why Dr. Faraday likes her, but well, why does said that, yeah. why does she like him though? I don't know. He like you know he's caring. He he tries to do a lot for the family, right? I've, he he inveigles himself. What's the word? Inveigles. Inveigle. Yeah. He yeah. kind of like sucks up to them, and oh, I can treat your leg for free. Oh, I can do this. Oh, I can help you out with that. Man, that word inveigle sounds like it is. You know, like. In- Kind of worming, snaking your way into people's lives. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, the whole romance between them is not very romantic. She's always trying to get away from him. He tries to kiss her. She tries to turn her head. Yeah. Yeah, so um, it's pretty clear it's about the house for him. And I think she only agrees because she believes that he's going to move to London. Every time he mentions, oh, well, I can move in here, everybody seems surprised. You know, that's not really how it's done. You don't take a, a working class guy his, whose mother, actually, Dr. Faraday's mother was once the help at hundreds. His mother was a nursery maid. You don't take her son and have him marry the daughter of the squire and have him move into her house um that's yeah. not how that class relationship yeah is supposed would, to play out you know it wouldn't have worked out like at dinner parties or whatever and it didn't work out there is a right. there is a dinner party or a, a drinks party and the other guests there are landed gentry and they see dr faraday and they say oh i hope someone here isn't sick they don't even realize that he's another guest yeah i hadn't picked up on that but yeah exactly right yeah so i mean there's lots of like these class resentments he starts the book coming out to help betty um and she's the help and both roderick and caroline make these comments to dr faraday like oh well the help are to be treated better than we are now. And Dr. Faraday responds very coldly to those comments. He has a class consciousness and he does not appreciate like this air that the um that the landed gentry have towards their help because that's that's his family. And then they don't necessarily um trust him. Like nobody really embraces him as friend yeah it's always it's always yeah no no one's everyone's thanking him for his service it's not a real sense of belonging in the house or in the family they're very polite to him yeah but it's awkward when he tries to bridge yeah become the distance. part of the family yeah it's it's there's always a misstep or the the family doesn't quite understand what he's getting at like how could you possibly do this or become think you're a part of the family or endear yourself in such a way um and let's see and i think yeah i think in a lot of other uh, gothic novels or other creepy uh other books with creepy guys in it um they were they were landed gentry creep creepsters. There's the portrait of what was it, Dorian Gray? He was a picture of Dorian Gray. Picture of Dorian Gray. He was a creepy but wealthy class, cla- um, high class guy. And I think um, making Doctor Faraday a upward, upwardly mobile character was an intentional thing, and 
kind of puts the whole the whole playing field of this book on a slant. Right, that's a good point because in um, other novels like um, We Have Always Lived in the Castle or Rebecca, it's um, it is the the gentry themselves who are kind of corrupted, and the lower class who are more like the innocents, and um, it's the opposite it would seem in this book. Yeah, I think it's very intentional on the author's part. So yeah, that. I think covers everything I wanted to talk about. Oh no, we didn't talk about how Doctor Faraday was a kid. Like his. First... I would like. I, I don't have much to say on that, but I'd like to revisit that with you. And if you have any thoughts, I'd like to hear that. Well, my thought is that he goes into the house. His mother is the help. They're there on Empire Day. He gets a medal because all the all the boys in the town come there to get a medal, and they sneak him into the house. As uh, I guess he is like eight or ten, and sneakily, they sneakily sneak him in the back way, and he's not supposed to go further than this curtain, but he goes beyond the curtain, and he sees this um, frame, I guess it is, that has, like, very intricate, like, um, work on it, and he um, takes out his penknife, and he prizes a little, like, acorn off this frame. And takes it with him. And my theory is that that is when the house started its decline. That he is the little stranger. Oh. And always has been. Wow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I hadn't considered that. Yeah. Because um, it's soon after he does that that the daughter, the first daughter, Susan, dies. Then Mr. Ayers, the patriarch, dies. And the house starts steadily falling into disrepair. And I think that um, there, it's like a, like a metaphor of like class resentment. Hmm. <laughs> it's a really odd that yeah, it's such a small occurrence that happens in the first part of the book, the very beginning, and to name your whole book after after that is a really interesting. And I think it's, I think you're correct. Um, it makes a lot of sense, but to name your the entire book after that small occurrence and have that small thing. You know, every kid will, you know, disobey orders and see something pretty and, and want, to possess, want to possess it for their own. Well, and he's also very entitled. He is with, like, he behaves that way towards Caroline later in the book. Yeah, yeah. And I, I saw that as him belonging to an entitled class. But, yeah, exactly. He does, he does behave um, as if he belongs and as if he deserves more than he actually is entitled to. But yeah, I, I hadn't, that's a, that's a really interesting insight. Yeah, well, the, the phrase, the little stranger, is actually something that Dr. Seeley says um, about, it's his, his theory that, like, somebody's repressed unconscious is actually wreaking havoc at hundreds. And that's where, like, the mm. phrase, the little stranger, comes from. But um, I also think that in the beginning, in the, like in his very first contact with hundreds, he is literally a little stranger. He's a stranger to them. He's little. And he kind of kicks off the steep decline yeah. of their household. What was Dr. Seeley's quote on suppressed consciousness or something? What was it? Oh, well, he was talking about this idea that, and he was saying that it might have scientific 
backing. You know, he was saying, you know, in 50 or 90 years, they might believe, you know, there might be more evidence to this, even though people frown on it now. His idea was that there's like repressed unconsciouses that are unsettled, uh, maybe sexual energy, especially. And they kind of people who who have these repressed unconscious disturbances when they're sleeping or when they, they lose hold of them and, and that unconscious bit of themselves like detaches oh, said, from them and goes and uh, acts like as if a poltergeist would. Yeah, I think he's referring to Dr. Well, maybe not un, maybe not knowingly, but I think the uh, the readers meant to read that after consideration that it's Dr. Faraday's suppressed unconscious. And maybe that maybe some resentment that his mother was a servant there and maybe mistreated or something yeah they um they do laugh about servants they talk they kind of talk shit about their servants um from time to time and it always makes dr faraday's blood boil and he says you know i almost hated them for doing that but it's quickly suppressed in order to further his relationship with them to be around the house that he is so obsessed with yeah, yeah, I think that goes. I think that says a little something about uh, Dr. Faraday's possible intent and his very strange behavior throughout the book. Maybe there is some kind of, um, you know, suppressed unconscious, as Dr. Seeley would say. Yeah, that's one of the things that's like pretty ambiguous. I still think that he, like, bodily came to the house and threw Caroline over the banister, but um, I guess we'll never know. Yeah, and like I don't think ghost is ever defined in this book or anything. Or or maybe it actually I think it might have been in the book that Caroline was reading, but I don't really see much uh point. I don't really see a whole lot of value in um defining exactly what a ghost is. I think that, you know, you know, it's it's, it's hopping between worlds, you know, um Dr. Faraday very well could have probably did kill Caroline, but he did so in like a ghost-like manner, and like I, I still don't see a lot like whether it was an actual, sp- you know, uh, Casper the friend, uh, the unfriendly ghost coming in to wreak havoc on the house. I don't really see. It doesn't really matter as far as I'm concerned. It's like I think they're very similar. Yeah, it's kind of like his intent, malintent. Yeah, yeah, it's. Um. Yeah, I also think that while there may be quote unquote rational explanations, like mm, me thinking. Dr. Faraday let himself into the house to kill Caroline at the very end. That's like a rational explanation for Caroline's death. Um, I think that also in this book, side by side with that, there are also irrational things that you can't explain. Yeah, I think, like, it's all mixed up. You can't really tell which is which. And I I think there's, like... um, The line isn't drawn clearly because there's supposed to be, like, there's supposed to be, like, a blurring of the line... Like I said before, and like it doesn't, there's not a whole lot of value between drawing the line between what's um, supernatural and what's part of the real world. Yeah, like what is reality? Yeah, you know, if someone's unconscious from like when they were a kid playing themselves out in their adult life. That's a, that's a spirit, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> you know, there's a there's a ghost, but it's like a real person. Um, I think so, too. I think Dr. Faraday is a ghost. He's a real person, too. It's interesting. 
Um, so yeah, in conclusion, I would say this is a, a really good gothic novel, a really good ghost story, a really good comment on um, like class and gender and the times, and um, overall just a really good novel, really good historical novel, but just a good a good story. Yeah, I I think of any of this good book for anyone who likes witty dialogue which is really popular now and has been for for a long time there was some really good comments and um what's that one series a british show oh downton abbey yeah if you like downton abbey it's very downton abbey ish and oh it's like creepy downton abbey it's, it's creepy downton abbey and um if you like kind of an ambiguous ending where you're like oh my gosh i don't know what happened this is a good book yeah Agreed. It really exists in that, like, ambiguous space. And I really, that's one of the reasons I, I think it's, like, especially delicious novel. Thanks for joining us. Thank you.